how big of a faux pas of an error it is that on your friends and family night, you as the executive chef, owner, proprietor, partner, lock yourself <laughs> in the walk-in. I mean, I always want to know, like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you're building a restaurant pretty much from the ground up. Pretty much. Yeah. I, listen, listen, listen. I've had this debate now with my staff, with other chefs, uh, with a lot of people. I don't think there's a single chef out there that's not kicking that door down. Like, that is not doing anything it takes to get through that door because you do not allow it. This is this is the ultimate adversity, right? We talk about this in our business, like adversity, problems, the shit that happens in your restaurant that is going to happen, but you have to get through them. If, if I've never been locked in a walk-in, okay, I've never, but I have had plenty of shit that has stopped me from running my restaurant properly that I had to tackle that I had to take over it's is it your grease trap overflowing is it your fryer overfilling is it a is it an oven breaking down is it your walk-in breaking down all of those things are real but you find a way and I I doubt that Carmi wouldn't have broke his way through that door right somebody's kicking it down right somebody please kick the door down because this is your life this is everything and I don't, I don't want to get this lost that a chef is the most important person in the restaurant because he's not. He's really not. It takes every single person. But to say that your leader, your person, the guy that is behind this entire idea is not there on his biggest night of his career is, is to me, unfathomable. Like, it, it, it wouldn't happen. Faden? Cut to... Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action! What's going on, everyone? Thank you for watching Restaurant Fiction, the show that reviews fictional restaurants, bars, and clubs in TV and film. And then we bring along the tastemaker, the showrunner, the creative, the celebrity chef to talk about said establishment. It's awesome. It's fun. It's refreshingly weird. My name is Monis Rose, and today's fictional restaurant that we are reviewing is none other than The Bear. And it is featured in the FX Hulu series, The Bear. And who are we talking with? Who did we bring along for the ride? It is none other than our friend, celebrity chef, not just in his own right, but he is on probably the most popular Food Network shows. There are, there is... For example, Tournament of Champions, plus he is the executive chef of Herbenwood, excuse me, Urbanwood in San Diego, California. His name is Carlos Anthony. Well, a little backstory, how did we even meet Carlos? Well, we were filming a couple of these very, very popular Food Network shows, also some chef-driven other content, if you will, and we were uh, at the bar after hours drinking something strong, something stiff. And I said to Carlos, I said, restaurant fiction? And he's like, duh. And then I said, what restaurant do you want to review? And he said, the bear. And finally I said, when? 
And he goes, now. So anyway, this is our fictional review of The Bear from the FX Hulu series, The Bear. We are filming from Carlos's restaurant, Herbinwood. I keep pronouncing it like a, the white guy I am. Herb and wood in San Diego, California. Guys, gals, last year, a little bit more than last year, Restaurant Fiction, we reviewed an elevated, yes, an elevated Chicago beef sandwich from the original beef of Chicago land. Uh, let me describe really quick this past joint. It was a linoleum, you know, cafeteria floor, kind of like you stand in a lunch line. You look at the local Chicago celebs and you order, you know, a $10 sandwich, a 5 to $10 sandwich. It's not going to really break the bank. You know, food is fuel and it's going to be on. Well, why are we back? Why are we back actually reviewing the original beef of Chicagoland? Because the original beef of Chicagoland is no longer the beef. It is went through a metamorphosis, and the metamorphosis is called the bear. Now, gone are all of those things, the photos, the floor, and in is sexy. In is modern. In is that house music, the tones, the blue and white tones, the floral arrangements. In are no yelling, hey, what's what you want? No, hey, Joe, and all that. No, in is an 11 Madison Park-like style of customer service where you're going to get almost that bespokeness. Now, I feel in a way I'm speaking now more for the front of the house of what we noticed is they took a page or two from uh, Unreasonable uh, Hospitality. It was a book by the GM of 11 Madison uh, Park. So anyway, little caveat here, uh, um, everyone, is because this is actually not a full-fledged restaurant review. We were invited, luckily, to Friends and Family Night. What is Friends and Family Night? It's literally that, that friends and family of the front of the house and back of the house employees um, can dine for free while the kitchen, front of the house and back of the house, works out the kinks. Okay, so that being said, yes, front of the house was awesome. I mean, you could see them pass papers like middle school children passing papers when, you know, either uh, someone needs salt or uh, there is something wrong with the system. But unfortunately, the food, well, it was a little bit slow. Once the food finally came out, it was served almost like a tasting menu. It almost actually seemed like it was a playlist, like this ultimate playlist of a band's debut album that really wanted to say something, really wanted wanted a theme, really wanted to mean something. What's the food we're talking about? Okay, well, we had a, a table side service of like a bone broth uh, poured over some frozen grapes. And we had some house-made focaccia with uh, parma ham, some jardinera, and other accoutrements. We had uh, a simple salad. Then we had this seven fishes dishes, which is like, oh, a deconstructed bouillabaisse. And finally, uh, we had the porterhouse. Of course, there are desserts. Desserts were on the more whimsy side, the more dark uh, humor side. We had a, a honey bun, we had a little sundae, and then we had a donut. Okay, so what are we trying to say? We're not really going to dive very, very much into the food of how it tastes or whatever because we don't know what, number one, is what the bear is. Is it going to be an a la carte 
place or is it going to be a tasting menu place? And then also, will the beer survive? Unfortunately, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, this was family and friends night. Okay, well, what is pretty much our take or what is our opinion. Well, let's just say this. Going back to that book, to that uh, 11 Madison Park book, Unreasonable uh, Hospitality. So in that book, the only reason how and why this this restaurant that was a two-star casual place that went and transformed into a four-star best restaurant in the world, the only way it was kept in business was because it heavily relied on the sales of Shake Shack burgers because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the same owner at the time owned both. So then the sales and the profits of just uh, uh, affordable burger helped you know, a very fine restaurant at least survive. Well, let's just say this. We just hope that the bear continues to make the beef. All right. We are talking to celebrity chef, executive chef, chef of all kinds, owner, proprietor, just mentor, all around amazing badass Carlos Anthony, Chef Carlos, what is your take on your review? What is your opinion on that? And the bear, all things the bear, floor is yours. So many chefs make this mistake where we want to make a Michelin-style restaurant with a pub house team. And that's no disrespect to that team, but Michelin restaurants take an incredible amount of effort, time, people, dedication to make it happen. Now, being someone that has worked in it and I've opened up a lot of restaurants. I've seen a lot of different styles and cuisine. Um, the difference between a regular restaurant and Michelin are very, very high. And oftentimes it takes an army to do this. So to think that um, the team at Beef could just overnight and with a couple of stages could suddenly be one of the best restaurants, I, I think was a lofty, lofty goal either in culinary or else, just when you're going for something, especially in Carmi's case, people treat things as an or. It's either this or that. And what I feel is life in general can be an and. I think you're, you're totally right. That this and that. So many people look at things as black and white, as that it, it's either success or failure man, I have this, uh, this big hurdle. It, this happened, the, you know, the ticket machines down or, or that, um, you know, this, this ticket is now has to be refired that I'm fucked. I can't, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm, um, but that's not true. And chefs have to be good at finding the and finding the next thing, the next solution, because the tickets keep coming in. The people are still walking in the doors. They're sitting at the tables and they're paying great money to be there. So, you better find the end. What are you rather eating at? Are you rather eating a beef from the beef? Or are you rather having the new age, new American, modern menu from the beer? Oh, this is, this is tough. This is so tough because as a chef, pushing boundaries, pushing creativity, pushing like things like you want to eat at, the bear, right? You want to, you want people to go to it. It's that moment. That's that like special thing I'm taking my fiance to, right? And we're enjoying it. But then we leave and we go to beef and actually eat dinner there, right? We, we end up getting the beef sandwich, right? That's the kind of crazy thing. I, I personally, I think 
saying all that, like I, I, I'm eating at beef, uh, consistency, um, that sandwich that makes you feel something that, that real nature, um, that's, that's it to me. To me, um, my beef are fish tacos. We have a fish taco truck. Um, Kiko's been around for 30 plus years, local, uh, third generation family. It's a truck. Okay. We're in San Diego. We have so many tacos. We're everywhere, but this place is the best and it's cause it's consistent and it's right. And sure. I can get the best seafood in the world here, but I want that rinky dinky, you know, old fish truck that, that, that just does it right. What would be there be your R and D process? So say instead of instead of Carmi or Sydney, it was you. What is your process? So you're eating at different restaurants, and then finally you get the recipes. Take me through that. As chefs, I think first and foremost we're we're storytellers. Okay, so when we look at a dish, it's not just what flavors or or what what just tastes good, but what am I trying to tell you, right? What am I trying to say? And oftentimes for me, what I'm trying to say is look at these incredible fishermen or this incredible farmer. Look at these incredible um, ingredients that are are so amazing. They're so in season that just came off the boat, and and let me let me showcase them to you in a way that that triggers something. Again, food is so much more than just how it tastes. It's how it makes you feel. Um, the bear connected to that so well with how they treated each of their customers, how each dish was representative of something and told a story. People love that, right? All of us, especially post-pandemic, can make a good plate of food, I promise you. <laughs> you know, We all know how to do it. But what a chef does, what I do, is I try to tell a story. So, I'll take, you know, something incredibly in season like uh, Riger Farm peaches, a local farm. We'll eat those peaches and, and see how incredible they are and, and pair it with something simple like um, a locally sourced pork belly and cook that slowly with spices. And you see this story begins to tell itself because then you can, you can feel that, that pig eating, eating these peach pits in that farm, right? You can tell that story of San Diego. Um, and I think that's what, the food that I'm connected to. And that's how I try to tell my story on the menu. And speaking of story. Yeah. How important is the story to everything you cook? How we tell a story um, is what separates the good chefs from the great chefs. Um, I think that the way that you're able to make people feel like a, a lot of chefs, they want to tell you too much, right? It's too complicated, too convoluted, too much technique and, 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 and frills. Um, I think that when a story is told right, you understand it like it's your own. You, you're connected to it, right? It's no longer, um, you know, it's, it's no longer that the chef's dish interpretation it's your feeling. It's your memory of eating at your grandmother's kitchen, right? It's, it's your feeling of your dad cooking on the barbecue. That's what tells a good story. That's what makes a great food. That's what makes great restaurants is, is that connection. You want to create not just the present vibe, but them to go into this matrix of their mind, kind of like whether it's a happy moment of their childhood or what they seek in the future. You want to create that, whatever that there there is. Yeah, I, I think what you're touching on is that we want to create moments, right? We want to create so much more. Um, you know, I think that whether, I think the biggest thing lost on this idea is when we talk about creating moments or memories, right? Creating a memory when you eat something. 
whether it's something from your past or like you're saying something new and exciting, it's that it could be as simple as a delicious beef sandwich or as complex as frozen grapes and consomme. It's, it's really about how it's intertwined. It's how that whole process goes. Um, you know, when you walk in, is it authentic? Um, because you want to be able to believe that story, right? If, if it's not authentic, if it's not real, you, you lose it all. It just becomes, it just becomes a sandwich or it just becomes a bowl of cold grapes. And, and I think that's the, that's the thing that we're touching on with the bear is how volatile and how uh, destructive that line is and how you can have incredible food. You can have a staff that cares and it could still absolutely suck. It could be awful. Um, and, and, and that is, that is so true in our business, you know, um, 80% of our restaurants fail, you know, it's, it's a volatile place and you're trying to capture people's, you know, moments, like capture these memories. So it's crazy, crazy world. Uh, Nadine Rizepe, uh, Renee's wife from Noma publicly has said what, uh, her husband, Renee cooked her to seal the deal. Uh, my seal the deal dish to my wife was just a simple sea scallops in pea puree, you know, just mint, butter, Love it. broth. Very, very simple, right? Uh, to your fiance, what was your what was your seal the deal dish when you dated? What was well, the dish? Well, thank you so much for bringing up Allison because she is just the love of my life. I'm very happy that, you know, I've found somebody. We talked about relationships in the beginning of this and to be a chef in this industry and to have uh, a relationship that is working and thriving is important. And you're right. The food did win her over. Um, I had a dish and it's simple too, right? I, I love that you made a simple one. Um, it was just uh, ro- roasted mushrooms with like a, a, a white wine, Berblanc, like a lemon thyme, Berblanc. Um, it's probably put some fancy cheese, like a Humboldt fog on there and, and, and on toast. And that simple dish was something that I know she loved and was so into it. I'll, I'll tell you another secret is that I have now a fancier version on our menu. You do a Cagna de Cabra where we, we sear it and we, but it's basically the exact same premise. It's Roasted, beautiful mushrooms uh, with a white wine, lemon verblanc sauce, and bread. And um, that was something that she picked up on that was um, so special to her. And I, you know, I still make it in the restaurant every day for her, you know. So how often does she recognize it? She recognizes it all the time. She likes to take credit. Uh, <laughs> she she loves to to sit in the restaurant and tell the servers that, you know, this is my dish <laughs> and, um, she's not wrong. So, <laughs> you know, when I asked you, what's your favorite fictional restaurant, you gave me a few awesome choices. Uh, one of them, obviously, which we're talked about is the bear, which was awesome. But another one shenanigans from waiting. What made you say that and how real in a way from your time in real kitchen life is shenanigans mentioned and why is this so important? it's stuck in my head for a lot of years as far as like, this is the restaurant industry. This is like behind the curtain. And for many years of my career, especially the early parts of my career, that is what restaurant life was like. It's like very grab ass. It's very like, how are you getting away with shit? Um, less dysfunction, like less, I think, um, pure, like, um, (laughs) 
like health violations, okay? Like less of that, but a lot of like sex, drugs, rock and roll, like a lot of crazy parties, um, fucking around on the line, in the kitchen, in the walk-in. Like that was the norm. Um, I think as you grow, uh, not only in this business, uh, as far as the caliber of your restaurants, but probably also like your, your, your pay, like your job title, some of those things you lose. Um, you know, now if I saw people doing that in my walk-in, I might (laughs) throw some, it might not be as great, but you know, again, that kind of, um, that kind of restaurant, that kind of an uh, atmosphere and environment, I think was a lot of the reason why a lot of young people or a lot of people in my generation that probably went to restaurants because it looked so fun, right? It just looked like the most fun. And uh, for many, many years, that's what opening restaurants was like. It was, I mean, again, like nobody's, nobody's really putting their balls on anything. Okay. Nobody's doing that. All right. But, People are having fun. Um, staff is definitely hooking up. Uh, people are definitely, you know, fooling around in the walk-in. And um, the bus boys are probably smoking weed out of the dumpster. Like, it, it's happening <laughs> everywhere you go. Or like in the beer. You know, I mean, well, let's say this. A line cook was smoking crack during service. That was, <laughs> woo. <laughs> like, yeah, like you'd like to say that would never happen, but like I've seen some I've seen some stuff in my day. We we had a guy who swore up and down for many years that he had diabetes and he had an insulin needle that, you know, we used to see him take like all the time. Like he would I don't know, he would like duck, duck down in the line and he would and he would, you know, have his little needle and he'd be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, he's a diabetic." Like, "Oh, we get it." Years later, come to find out the guy never had it. Never had it. He was doing drugs on the line the whole time. The whole time. It's like insane to me. This is real life. It's it's crazy the things that people get away with. And for me, I feel like a dummy. I've watched it for many years just like, oh, yeah, that's totally okay. And joke's on me. He was a drug addict, um, but a great fish cook. So so it's like, you know, it's like a very like uh, Anthony Bourdain thing. It's like you kind of take the pirates when you can get them. So carlos last question what question am i not asking oh shoot this is this is heavy um this is heavy oh honestly i i think the biggest thing that you can look at whether you're looking at um shenanigans or you're looking at the bear or you're looking at the menu you look at all of these fictional restaurants um industry you you hear about the stories that they tell um question you got to ask is why the hell does anybody get into restaurants like what the hell are we all doing and i might not have an answer for you Wow, why the hell does anyone work in restaurants what the hell are you even doing no, I, I literally, I don't think I have an answer for you. I, I think you got to love it. You got to be a little bit crazy. Uh, you have to have passion for it. You have to have passion for more than it. And you have to be, be really thick-skinned. Um, I ask myself every day. My fiance asks me all the time, you know, what? Like, why? Um, but I think it's, it's inside of you. Um, you know, much like, you know, great sports players or... 
um, you know, great athletes that um, are just born with a gift. I think certain people have this, um, call it genetic flaw, where they're addicted to chaos and disorder and in the end of the day are really, really addicted to making people feel good. And um, that's a little a little snippet about this world or this crazy industry that we're in that the bear kind of touches, that really touches well on that, that our industry, though it's crazy, though it's chaotic, though it's absolutely, you know, ludicrous, um, really impacts people and really makes people feel something. And in a world that's crazy and full of shit, it's, it's nice to have that. For those of you who want to watch Carlos, meet Carlos, well, get your butts over to Urbanwood in San Diego, California. Say hi. He's a badass dude. Or you can watch him on a number of Food Network shows. He obviously does a lot of amazing creative content and work with also celebrity chef Brian Malarkey. So anyway, he is on the Instagrams. He is all over the place. As for me, as for us, this is Restaurant Fiction. You found us. If you just want to jog with us, we are also on the Spotify's and the Audibles and the iTunes. But this is the visual medium. This is where it's at. All right. And as always, keep it fresh, keep it real, and keep it on the flip side. Faded. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Night.